have we got a show for you? I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you? Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. My name is Strangely. This is the podcast, and if you're listening to it, that makes you one of the friends. Uh, let's see, what's going on in the world today? Well, I got a very large package in the mail that I'm going to open during the mailbag segment, so I'm really excited about that. Um, Rick and Morty's back. That's a thing. Uh, if you watch Rick and Morty, it's whatever. Uh, it made me laugh really hard, but, you know... I don't, you know, there, I've commented on something in the current cultural zeitgeist. Now let us speak of it no more. I, uh, I've got a good episode for you this week. There's no guest, uh, but, uh, got some fun stuff going on, so let's get to it. Strangely recommends in 200 words or less, including these 11. Who? Who imposed this rule? Tonbo Kulinya, or the Cattle Raid of Cooley, has been called the Iliad of Ireland, but that's doing it a disservice. It's difficult to communicate the laugh-out-loud enjoyment this hundreds-of-year-old narrative gave to me, so I'll just give you a few specifics. One. The phrase, bring on the naked women, is shouted more than once, and not for sexual reasons. Two, duels to the death will be paused so that the combatants can have a chat, or play chess. Three, the hero's foster father has a name that literally translates to horse semen. There is also a character called Stick Ass. Number four, Stick Ass is killed when the hero impales him with a spear. Guess where? Number five, Two giant bulls, so big a hundred men can dance on their backs, have a fight that almost kills everyone at the end. So it's a kaiju story, in the guise of a heroic narrative, with people creating lakes after waiting too long to pee. Mark Twain once said, A classic is something that everybody wants to have read, and nobody wants to read. He'd clearly never heard of the ton. This is a new segment, or I don't know, I don't know what this will eventually become, but I've been doing this thing with my parents where every week we all agree that we're all going to watch a movie, and then after we all watch the movie, we get on a Zoom meeting and chat with each other, and that's been a lot of fun, and I kind of want to do a version of that with all of you. So I know that sometimes on these episodes I'll talk about an obscure movie that I just watched, or a movie that I want to, you know, unpack, something like National Treasure or whatever. So what I'm going to do is every week... On the show, I'll let you know something I'm going to be watching during the upcoming week, and all you, all of you, can hopefully go and watch it yourselves, and then send me comments or thoughts, or you can tweet at me or message me or email me or whatever. And the idea of this is that we'll kind of have a little movie club, and then next week I'll talk about my reactions to the thing. And sometimes this might be things I've seen before, things I haven't seen, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I. This might end up being a thing, it might not, but I always like to talk about stuff that we've all seen together recently, but it doesn't have to be something new. That One of the things that this podcast is against is kind of trying to chase the zeitgeist. So uh, 
for reasons that would take way too long to explain, I have never seen Casablanca and decided to watch it. So I'm going to be watching Casablanca this week for the first time. I'm very excited. Uh, and I'd like to invite all of you to watch it with me this week. So between now and the next episode of the podcast, about a week from now, you should watch Casablanca and let me know what you think of it. And then I'll let you all know what I think of it on the podcast next week. So yeah, go watch Casablanca, which I think it has the line, um, here's looking at you kid, I think comes from Casablanca. Anyway, I'm really excited. I hope you folks are too. Go watch Casablanca. Here's a thought. Why do so few fantasy stories think about geography? Fantasy stories fall into two types. Okay, I get that there are more than two types, but for the purposes of this ramble, there are two types. And look, I'm not going to unpack the term fantasy. Whatever. Speculative fiction, alternative history, you get it. Those that take place on planet Earth and those which do not. Two types. Those that take place on Earth, or an alternate Earth, always have something magical as the deviation, and then assume that everything else is basically the same, unless mentioned. Then there are stories that take place on other worlds, or other universes even, where everything is different, from geography to history to culture. But here too is a kind of assumed that unless otherwise specified, everything is pretty similar to how it is here thing going on. This is so on the nose that sometimes you get things like Dune, which is just seven pillars of wisdom. In space! <clears throat> Where you have the Fremen, who are a thinly veiled analog of the Taurig. But, okay, I, I, get, I, get, I could go on about Dune all day. Point is, they're following the K-Pax model. Why is a soap bubble round? Because that is the most convenient shape for it to be. This rankles at me because it often fails to take into account the effects that various geographical features put into a world for the scenery would actually have on the people who live there. Come to think of it, why are the people all ones that look like we do? Why do they have five fingers? Why do they... Okay, again, I don't want to get sidetracked. I often have a difficult time explaining what I mean when I'm pondering concepts like this, so I'll give you an example of something that I would consider well done. Joe Abercrombie's First Law series. I've recommended these books on the podcast before and will probably recommend them in the future, but I'm just going to point out an example of these books using geography in real-world analogs in an interesting way. In Red Country, the sixth book in the series, a gold strike to the west has precipitated a migration of people across the quote-unquote far country, a wide-open expanse of flat land with nothing on it except for the <clears throat> ghosts, who are portrayed as a pastoral nomadic people, a kind of cross between the Comanches and the Mongolians. So the prospectors have to get across this open grassland in order to reach the gold rush. If this is sounding familiar, that's because it is following the rough outline of the 1849 gold rush in San Francisco and the peak years of the Oregon Trail. But this is where things get hinky, because the geography is different, and so is the timeline. This is not our world, so two key elements are mixed up. First, instead of there being an ocean between what is essentially Europe and what is the North American Great Plains, they are connected. You can just walk there. Which, now that I think about it, makes the situation a bit more like Russia's 1700s expansion into Siberia. 
but that's a totally different topic. Second, the technological level of the societies in the first law universe is somewhere between high medieval and early modern. So like cannons and gunpowder for castle sieges are so new that nobody knows how to implement them well. Movable type printing presses exist, but they are still rare and literacy is all over the chart. Someone has invented a portable forge and a threshing machine, but accurate portable timepieces do not exist. Banking houses and trade routes are very well developed, almost to a modern level of sophistication, likely driven by the presence of immortal wizards who want to influence things. The biggest implication of this for Red Country? The Europeans don't have guns. Think about that for a moment. According to S.C. Gwynn's Empire of the Summer Moon, which is a fantastic nonfiction book, you should totally read it, the Comanches were incredibly successful at resisting westward expansion. They were amazing fighters, subsistence travelers, and horseback riders, and their eventual defeat had more to do with technological disadvantages and unfair population differentials than anything they were doing militarily. So let's loop this back to the fantasy world of Joe Abercrombie's books. Humanity has been able to lean on wizards for thousands of years, so certain technologies have not been developed. This has affected their ability to spread out around the world, one with very different geography than ours. My favorite thing about this in Abercrombie's books is the fact that attention is not drawn to the fact, because the people who exist in this world don't find it special. It just is. I'm sure many of you listening can think of a fantasy series where a detail like this has been realized well, and by all means, let me know about it. I want more of this and less of the, it's medieval Europe, but with tits and dragons and dragons made of tits and, and tit dragons. And also Asia exists whenever something really weird needs to show up. God, I just, I'm sorry. Even just like making a joke about that, I really hate George R. R. Martin. He's such a bad writer. I mean, he keeps promising things that he's never going to deliver. And I just like, whenever I think of him, all I can think of is... It's just disappointing. He's a sad trombone of a fantasy writer. I need more coffee. Hokey Fright. Have you heard about The Lone Gunman? This was a short-lived television series spun off from the X-Files in the year 2001. Instead of being about monsters and aliens, this show is about a team of conspiracy theorists trying to expose government cover-ups in their little newsletter. The newsletter is called The Lone Gunman, which is a great oxymoronic title. If you're an X-Files fan, you've heard of The Lone Gunman, Langley, Byers, and Frohickey, but this entire show is bananas. The closest thing I could compare it to is the X-Files episode, Jose Chung's It Came From Outer Space, itself a masterpiece of comedic subversion. The whole of The Lone Gunman is a giant riff on formula and genre. An early episode opens with what seems like a dream sequence. The middle-aged Frohiki, played by Tom Braidwood, engages in a kung fu fight with an arguably superior opponent half his age, but then he pulls out a series of leaps and floating kicks straight out of the Matrix. Thing is, it's not particularly well realized. The whole thing comes across as a cheap parody. But then, oh, don't you see? It is a cheap parody. Our middle-aged hero has indeed been playing a parody of the fight scene. The entire action scene is a ruse staged by Frohiki and the rest of the lone gunmen to trick a whaling tycoon into revealing the location of his whaling fleet. 
because this is obviously the most convenient way to do this. The almost visible wires become visible halfway through, and then we get to see the person holding him up on the other end of the rope. The scene is a pretty fantastic microcosm of the whole show. While you're laughing at a cheap-looking special effect or a bad bit of dialogue, the show is way ahead of you. This is a conscious exercise in genre pastiche, and the amount of love being put into each moment is apparent on screen. Another example. One of the episodes has a politician getting caught up in a tabloid-worthy affair with a campaign staffer. The actor is playing a bad Bill Clinton impersonation, not exactly laughable, but too on the nose to be unintentional. Which you realize is exactly what they're going for when the show has him strut on stage in full saxophone wailing glory. While the whole thing seems like it tips too far into comic force, this is where the true beauty lies. The wild shifts in tone are the tone. If nothing is taken seriously, there is a kind of relativistic loop back around to everything being taken seriously again. One moment, our heroes are ducking behind a parked car to avoid an assassin, only to be revealed by a poorly timed fart. This might make the whole thing sound prurient, but it has so much heart that you cannot help but love it. It's little surprise that Vince Gilligan, who was a powerhouse on the X-Files and went on to create that chemistry cooking show with Brian Cranston, was involved with this. There's this fine line being walked between outright nonsense and tangible human emotion. Oh man, you could have called the lone gunman breaking wind. <laughs> I want the right to that Netflix reboot title. The fact that I'm having such a difficult time explaining why I enjoyed this sort of thing is kind of the point though. The show is so far off the map that it's in the diner across the street making its own map on a paper placemat using the ketchup as paint. If a goofy conspiracy theory show sounds at all interesting to you, then do yourself a favor and just watch the first episode. I will not spoil a single thing about it except to say that I lost my mind at what the conspiracy ends up being in the first episode of the show. Look, frankly, I'm surprised this show isn't the most famous thing from the year 2001 in terms of like shows that came out. Uh, anyway, for a 20-year-old television production with a wildly oscillating tone, The Lone Gunman still has a few relevant things to say when it's done puking in your bag of golf clubs. I'm not saying it's good, but at least now you've heard about it. Song of the Week. This song is called Down, Down, Down by William Keating, and it's a coal miners, uh, it's a coal miners ballad. So it's kind of this idea of you're going down levels in the coal mine, but you're also sort of going into this dark place in the human soul. Uh, I'm a big fan of songs that have sort of like a really simple structure, but then repeat a lot and sort of the repetition almost builds the thing into a kind of fugue state you kind of lose your place and get a little confused so there's a little bit of that happening when I recorded this I actually lost my place and sang the wrong verse and got a little turned around but I left it in because that's kind of the point uh in the Alan Lomax book that I learned this out of there's a there's a quote from Keating where he's talking about writing this song and he's saying that uh when he performed the song live it had 40 verses I don't do 40 verses don't worry but he performed it and there were 40 verses and and people would make him stop like every 10 verses and they would all have a round of beers and then he would sing more verses. So it's like this fascinating idea of like a single song being a whole show. 
which I think is, is, is really interesting. And that's kind of what drew me to the song. So I hope you enjoy my rendition of Down, Down, Down. attention a song I will trill all you who must toil with the pick and the drill and sweat for your bread in that hole in Oak Hill that goes down 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 when I was a boy says my daddy to me stay out of Oak Hill take my warning says he or with dust you'll be choked and a popper you'll be broken down down Tim's and drank 25 shines, reported next morning half dead but on time to go down, down, down. And into the office I sauntered to boss Sam, with a cheery good morning says I here I am, with booze in me bottle and beer in my can to go down, down, down. With a note from the boss, Sam, what tools I would need in the place? Very few, said the boss, with a grin on his face. One seven-size scoop in a coop snoopy space. Away so down, down, down. With a note from the boss to the shaft, I made haste. Saluted the topman and took my landing place. Saying, get me a cage for no time to waste. Let me down, down, down. Board for the bottom, the top man did yell. We stepped on the cage, he ding-donged the bell. Through the hole in Oak Hill like a bat out of hell. We went down, down, down. In wet or dry weather, that shaft always rains. There's a trembling of timbers and a clanking of chains. Just off on a spree, it flip-flopped down me brains. Going down, down, down. I'd been on the outside and inside before I fell into oceans and rivers galore But the dip in that deep dirty sump made me soar away down, down 
the dish to the knuckle with smoke. The dust was so thick, I thought I would choke. Says I to myself, I guess here's where I croak away down, down, down. Grouped into a gangway and gave me a scoop. The cut was just fired, muck heaped to the roof. I scooped dead, I scooped, tell me back, loop the loop. Scooping down, down, down. She was heaved on the bottom and cracked on the top. Near a pole, near a slab, near a legging or prop. Pretty soon I expected that Gap Mountain will drop and come down, down, down. That journey each morning, it near breaks my heart. The steps in the muleways are ten foot apart. You must watch your brogans if you want to get a start. Roll down, down, down. Moby Dick. However, I am now two-thirds of the way through Dante's Divine Comedy, so that's, that's something, right? Number two. Learn to understand my carbon footprint. I still don't understand my carbon footprint, but I'm not driving anywhere, so I'm not making carbon, or maybe I am. I'm curious if there's any large-scale climate data from the lack of airplanes flying right now, in the same way that there is for uh, 11 September 2001. Like, you know, when all the planes were grounded over the U.S. for like three days, there was all this climate data that came out, you know, about like lack of pollution and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Three days. Only three days. That's how long it took to get everything going again. And, you know, to get back to making us take our shoes off. Oh, God, the shoes thing. Someday I will rant about the shoes thing, but it is not this day. Number three. Finished lessons. I've been doing them. Finish word of the week, avocado pussy. It means avocado. 
Enough said. Number four, quit streaming stuff. Okay. At the beginning of this year, I made this resolution that I would quit Netflix and YouTube and all the streaming services. I would fill my time with movies at the theater or books that I was reading and, you know, just I, I would watch the things that I watched, I would watch with a bit more intent instead of something that I just threw on. And I think that's where my dislike of streaming content came from. Not the delivery method per se, but the fact that more often than not, I was coming home and loading up YouTube and letting the algorithm sweep me along. Or even worse, I was spending hours gormlessly scrolling through Netflix, staring at titles of things I might want to watch. In light of current events where we're all sheltering in place, I've struggled with how to relax this resolution somewhat. Sure, uh, movie night with friends was always an exception and i've had lots of fun planning to all watch say the sisters brothers at the same time as my folks but what about downtime for myself i finally realized that i need to make an exception so here's what i've arrived at if i want to watch something i have to decide what it is the day before i plan my movie night ahead of time this week i had a solo movie night where i watched john wick 3 fantastic film but I planned it the night before. So that's what I'm doing now, planned watching. Also, I can only be working my way through one TV show at a time. So a little while ago, I finished Veronica Mars and then The Lone Gunman, those were both on DVD. And then I just watched season two of The Orville on uh, Video On Demand, which means now I'm gonna be watching a show called Hustle, which I've seen a couple episodes of. It's a British con man show, super excited to write about it for you folks. And I'm gonna keep using this space to write about my viewing, watching habits and trying to understand them because I think being conscious about the media that we take in, the things we read, the things we watch is more important than whether or not we're actually doing it. You can consciously take in a lot of things, but the thing I'm trying to avoid is unconsciously taking in things, just letting the algorithm decide what I watch and not making these choices for myself. So that's sort of the streaming update. Uh, number five, make at least 36 episodes of this podcast. Well, this is number six of 36, so I am officially one-sixth of the way there. I Look, we can't all be winners, right? Number six, read 52 books. I've read 33 books so far this year, so I'm obviously dashing way past par. Fifty-word movie reviews. The Sisters Brothers. While lacking the darkly comedic charms of the source novel, this elegiac film still tells a gripping yarn. Build as a western, it has more in common with a ronin or samurai story. John C. Riley is a treasure, and this may be one of his best performances to date. Mailbag. Oh boy, I have so much in the mailbag this week. I'm gonna start with. I got a postcard from Sarah Shea, and it is a photo of Slab City from the air. Uh, Sarah Shea and I visited Slab City uh, two years ago, something like that. We did a show there, and it was fantastic. So this is from Sarah. It says, Dear Strangely, seems like a million years since we were at East Jesus, eh? I miss your actual non-digital face. Love, Sarah. Uh, 
East Jesus is a sub-community of Slab City. Slab City is an abandoned U.S. Uh, Army base in the Mojave Desert, or in the desert in southeastern California. So, like, almost to Arizona, like, out near um, uh, Joshua Tree, out there in the middle of nowhere. And uh, it's just it's wild it's it's completely off the grid it's it's sort of lawless it's really really cool uh yeah so thanks for the postcard sarah uh this i got a text from uh my friend ariel who listens to the podcast this is from ariel she said two things in response to your podcast number one mayonnaise is eggs it's eggs and oil so you're not really leaving eggs with that substitution. Uh, I said really that way because uh, Ariel spelled it with seven E's. Number two, need a good trilogy? Read the Broken Earth Trilogy by N.K. Jemison. So freaking good. So, uh, yeah, I know, I know that, that mayonnaise contains eggs, <laughs> but I, I, I used mayonnaise as a substitution because... Mayonnaise is shelf stable, whereas at least around here, you can't leave like an egg on a shelf for a couple months, whereas you can a jar of mayonnaise. Then you do have to refrigerate it. But like if you're stockpiling food, mayonnaise is a good, good substitute. Also, I just like mayonnaise. It's, it's, just a, it's good. I just like it. And I can like lick off the spoon of the mayonnaise after I put it in the cake mix. Um, and and thanks for the, the Broken Earth Trilogy recommendation, Ariel. I'm gonna um I'm gonna get myself a copy of those and I will read those next, because I'm almost done with these Joe Abercrombie books, and those will be next in the pile. Okay, finally on the mailbag, I have a giant package from uh from from uh from my from Katie Thompson in uh in in Penticton, BC. Uh, so I'm going to open this and, uh, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what's in here. Cause this is a very large package. Oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, let's see. There's a card and the card has a, f I, I'll post a photo of it. It says blown away. And it says strangely. Thanks for making this time a little more cheerful. Please enjoy these Canadian classics. Keep rocking with your accordion out. Uh, love Katie, Meester Heather, and John Welsh Band. So th th these are some folks who listen to the podcast and also watch me on streaming. Oh, man. Okay, so what's in here? Let's see. There is a... Uh, let's see. We've got... Oh, <laughs> Okay, there's a bag of Tim Hortons coffee. There's some Raincoast Crisp. Oh my gosh, there's a there's Smarties, <laughs> box of Kraft Dinner, and some old Dutch, all dressed ketchup chips, and moose rub. Oh, it's like for for like breading ch chicken, make chicken. I have a rabbit in the freezer. I'll probably put it on that. And a little thing of maple syrup. This is like an entire box full of Canada. This is so exciting. Thank you so much, Katie and company. Uh, this is delightful, and this is definitely going to brighten my day. Oh, and uh, I forgot to mention, there's also some salad dressing in here. This all looks delicious. I, I assume I'm not supposed to eat all of these things together. 
thank you so much for that. Uh, it really, really lightens lightens the day to get some uh, some mail. So thank you so much to that. If any of you listeners out there would like to send me some mail, you can either send it to Strangely, 1000 Harris Avenue, Bellingham, Washington, 98225, or to strangely.duesberg at gmail.com. So that's S-T-R-A-N-G-E-L-Y dot D-O-E-S-B-U-R-G at gmail.com. If you want to send me something to this cabin where I'm temporarily staying, uh, send me an email and I'll send you the address. I just don't want to put my neighbor's address out there publicly because she's a very private lady is my neighbor, Carol. I love her dearly, though. She's a dear. Well, that about does it for this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. I hope you folks had as much fun listening to this as I had recording it. Strangely and Friends, the podcast, is produced in a secret, undisclosed location by me, Strangely Duesberg. The podcast is made possible by my incredible supporters on Patreon, with a special shout-out to my executive producer patron, Kim Truitt. Check out patreon.com strangely to find out how you can help me make more of whatever this is. Strangely and Friends, the podcast, is a herringbone society production. All right, uh, so I'm supposed to tell a joke, and I don't have a joke, uh, so I'll read you a little bit of Dante's Divine Comedy. This is from Canto Six of Purgatorio. When the game of hazard breaks up, the loser is left disconsolate, repeating the throws and sadly learns. With the other, all the people go along. One goes in front, one plucks him from behind, and at his side one brings himself to mind. He does not stop, but listens to this one and that one. Each to whom he reaches forth his hand presses on him no longer. And thus from the throng he defends himself. So it's like the end of a, a, of a dice game and everyone's suddenly going up to the winner and being like, Remember me, bro? Like, we're, we're good pals, right, bro? <laughs> Anyway, folks, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you all have a great week, and I'll see you next time.